Welcome to another episode of Deserve, the Deserve Podcast. <laughs> I'm Brett Sasso. Uh, you know, I get my Deserve Podcast and Deserve Webinar confused sometimes. I like to interchange uh, the name. So this is the podcast, and I'm doing this today on my normal Friday. Uh, last week, I held off on Friday to do the Monday version, which this is a continuation of because I think I, I, think I hit a couple nerves with... Uh, the last podcast, we're talking a little bit about volatility and, you know, this whole concept of, you know, are, are we, are we so um, different today than we were in the past? Is, is there really a bubble? Is there not a bubble? Is, is a bubble something that you should even contemplate uh, experimenting with the pop of a bubble if you're a baby boomer? Um, this is really important things to talk about. And unfortunately, when you are on the tail end, arguably, of a 12-year bull market, well, you know, you should be expecting something to change, right? And that's all over the the, the media. Everything is, is kind of hinting that we should be expecting something really dire. And uh, But I don't know that it's resonating. I, I don't know if the baby boomer is listening, and I I know that all smacks of the behavioral, the investment behavior that we've talked about so many different times on webinars and this podcast, there is a real fear for, for me of what could happen to the baby boomer generation if, in fact, we allow our investment behavior to go unchecked. And just the fact that it's called behavior means that it's, it's not so easy to control. If it's a behavior... We have to do something to, to change the way we react and act and think. Not hard. Paradigm shift. Other type of words describe what needs to kind of be incorporated here as we stare or potentially have already taken the first step on the downward trend of the market. You know, I talk about different types of charts that I follow, and I know that we're, we're now trying to capture some of this on video, which is a little awkward because I'm... You know, I, I don't use a prompter. I just use paperwork. And when I do the webinar, I actually have, you know, a monitor up on, on the screen. I can see what I'm talking about. And when I present, I'm usually presenting a PowerPoint. I don't, I don't do that with a podcast. So instead, I, I use things like subscriptions that I have that uh, give me different angles to read. If you only have one source of information, especially in today's world, you have to you have to be careful that that information isn't being uh, manipulated. And, and unfortunately, that's the new world we're in. There, there are agendas out there. There are filterings. There's political. There's economic. There's a lot of things today that mean that we have to be more on guard as individuals looking out for ourselves and our families than probably ever before. And again, we, we, we have to question what we're being fed. We have to be willing to look at different sources where we get our information. And we need to start being able to make non-emotional behavior decisions. And in order to do that, you knew you need things like this podcast where, you know, the only thing I don't pick sides, I just pick logic. And while I believe this bull market has carried uh, artificially longer than it should, uh, all of which I think can be pushed back on, policies of the Federal Reserve and and 
it's being somewhat also controlled by political and other agendas, which it should not be. It should be completely neutral to uh, the, the citizens in this country as opposed to an agenda or a political uh, directive. So we talked a little bit about the uh, Schiller Cape, if whatever you want to call it, PE ratio. And I've long believed that that is a good indicator of bubbles. Now, if you're a if you're a fan of watching bubbles grow, then you're also probably a fan of watching lawn grow. It, it doesn't happen quick. This is something that has trends that take a very long time. And, and like a balloon expanding, you know, every, every ounce of air that goes in it, you know, starts expanding the balloon, but there's, it's not, you don't know when the balloon's going to pop until it pops. Right. So how, how does market, how do we judge a market bubble and what's the pin and when does it pop? Well, I guess if you're looking at a balloon that just came out of a bag and it hasn't had any air blown into it, then you're pretty comfortable that that thing can hold a lot more air. Bubbles, on the other hand, have been blown up over time and they're expanding and they're getting larger. And, you know, yeah, they're, they're more exciting to look at because they're grand and big. But the reality is, is that there's a point at which that that bubble can't take more air. I was looking for a complement to the Schiller PE or a contrast, something that could help identify where we may be today as compared to, and, and I'm only going to speak of 2000 and the Nikkei. Everyone that, that follows what I talk about and, and has been to my webinars know that I believe that we are going to pursue a Nikkei-like correction. Now, most corrections start off with a crash, but what's a crash? What's a correction? Well, the, 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 um, what we experienced with COVID-19 in, in March of last, in 2020, was a crash. It literally crashed. It happened very, very quickly, but all the fundamentals, are, not fundamentals, but all the behavior of people that witnessed that crash because it was a medical uh, anomaly, something that we, I think all of us knew we would come out on the other side okay, um, but we just didn't know. But anyhow, it, it was a crash because it came back so quickly. A correction to me can't happen in four months, five months, which is what really the COVID uh, crash was all about. So, uh, you know, when I look at things like long-term crashes, well, those are really corrections. <laughs> so a correction is something that says, hey, you know, it's like kids with time out. If you, if you just tell a child, hey, you did something bad and, and scold them, then they just go off and they don't really learn from that. They need a time to digest what they did wrong, which I guess is the idea behind time out. I didn't grow up in that generation of time out. I've, I've tried to figure it out for a long time about, well, you know, how does that really correct bad behavior? But I understand the part about thinking about it. Now, that's okay as long as there's not an Xbox in the room or something like that that the kids can, you know, spend their time on once they're in timeout. You know, the idea of sitting in a chair and staring at a wall, you know, that's kind of uh, a way of making the impression. And I think we all need a little bit of a timeout right now. So the Schiller PE is, and I, I mentioned and I have it in, I had it in the last webinar. I'll have it in the in the webinar this coming up Wednesday, next Wednesday. And uh, I'm going to add another chart that goes along with the Schiller PE, with the PE standing for the stock price to the company's earnings. Now, when you think about that, 
earnings can be manipulated, right? There's There are ways the company can manipulate their earnings and they can make their numbers look a little bit like what they want it to look like. And perhaps that's been manipulated in a way that has allowed the bubble to grow to, to the size that it is today. But there's another uh, similar type of chart that I've that I found. And this, this is actually in an article that I read uh, written by a Michael Leibowitz back in December this past 2021. And his topic was, can the stock market crash like it did in 2000? Really good article, multi-page is well-written, supported by tremendous amounts of charts. Um, and, and it's obviously written from a very, uh, almost like a, 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 an, a reporter doing a story as opposed to somebody with an agenda. So when I read this article by Michael, I, I found one of the charts that he spoke about really interesting. And it's, it's another type of chart, which is the price to annual sales ratio. Interesting. So the price of the stock versus what the annual sales are, not so easy to manipulate unless they're cheating on their taxes, right? What are the sales? Well, this chart is actually more alarming in many ways than, you know, maybe even the Schiller PE. The Schiller PE is incredibly alarming. When you look at it, and you can go look this up online, you don't have to wait for the webinar this coming up Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. You could actually just research this yourself, the Schiller PE ratio or the CAPE uh, ratio. They're, they're the one in the same. This chart, price to annual sales, the first time I've really looked at this because I was so confident of the bubble based on the Schiller that this would have only created more confidence in, in me calling the bubble the bubble. So what we're looking at here is how a company's stock price correlates to their annual sales. And it's, it's again, like in multiples. And as you look at this chart, it's very interesting how it starts off in this particular one, 1964. And it shows the crash of 1974. Many people don't know there was a crash of 1974. And at that time, the price to sales was one time. So it was a pretty easy correlation, but it was still a, a pretty big spread when you look at how it normally trends on the rest of the years going forward. That is until now. Today, we're at 3.11. 2008, hardly a separation to really talk about. Uh, 2000, pretty pretty close. So when you look at 2008, big spread. Um, but when you look at 2000, it's more like what it is with today being worse. Um, today, we've never had such a high uh, correlation between a, a stock price versus the annual sales of a company. Yes, another reason why we believe that there is a very large bubble and that bubble is facing many potential catalysts to cause it to crash. Um, and the biggest one right now was just confirmed. Um, I listened to the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell the other day when he was talking about his guidance. A lot of people thought, you know, it's, it's almost going back to the timeout. Um, the bad behavior of investors is, oh, if you're going to talk about these interest rates going up, we're going to crash the market. And I think in the past, political pressure and not wanting the party to end too soon may have actually caused the Fed to to change its position. The words are dovish to hawkish. Um, in 2018, 
the Federal Reserve try to raise interest rates. Normalize them was the word. Um, and not jack them up. It wasn't an inflationary issue. It was just trying to normalize where the interest rates were. And it, it was a matter of months that we had that pullback, uh, December through January, where we started to see the reaction of the markets based on the normalization of interest rates. And again, we're talking less than 2.5. I think 2.5 was kind of the the prick in, in that balloon, and it just showed the Federal Reserve, you know, hey, we're the market and we control. Well, the market is nothing more than the sentiment of a lot of people. You know, I, I tried to look up what the value of the stock markets are in the United States, and I actually found a new number, the quadrillions. Might have been something we used as kids when we were trying to talk about big numbers. Um, but it's around $54 quadrillion, so, some it, absolutely illogical amount of money that I don't think you could even put on the planet. But anyhow, when we, when we talk about this, this concept of, you know, do, do companies have the ability to carry this out? What if the fed doesn't normalize or in this case, tighten rates, Powell used a word that I thought was very interesting. He used the word plenty of room to go up. Like those are words that should put a fear in, in all of us that believe that companies that are not making a lot of money, that have these very high um, both price-to-sale and P.E. ratios, that higher interest rates are very bad for those companies. If there are companies that have a, a, a runway for 10 more years before they can start booking profits, they're probably not something you want to hold on to in a, in a rising interest rate environment because their money costs more and more to get. It's going to put more and more pressure on profitability. But the point of it is, as a baby boomer, this isn't stuff we should be, we shouldn't be playing, we should be watching, right? And I said last time, there's going to be victims and then there are going to be witnesses. And you want to be a witness. You don't want to be a victim. But yet, even as I speak with people this past week, it doesn't change how they are looking at their current portfolio. I, I find it fascinating after, you know, watching the evidence that I presented in the last webinar and talking about it and showing things, I've actually even started building some of these, these facts into the Roth conversion analysis that we do so that people can see what we're looking at. And in the end, without fail, Three quarters, nah, maybe not three quarters. It's probably more like 50-50. 50% of people say, yeah, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I, I don't believe that. I'm in trouble. And the other 50 say, okay, I believe this, but man, am I having a hard time making any kind of transitional moves. And I, I just keep thinking to myself, is this is this greed? What What is this that's causing people who have had such an amazing run in the last 12 years, who are staring at about a 15-year window of active retirement, what in the world would possess them to want to risk anything at this point? If you're holding on to that big, think about it again, go back to that balloon. If you're blowing up that balloon and your idea is to blow it up and pop it, how nervous are you when you're blowing those final puffs into that balloon that it's going to blow and just, you know, bang, big, loud noise, you know, just uncomfortable. That's how you should be thinking about your, your wonderful 401k statement right now. When you see, man, I broke into the $2 million number. That is incredible. Congratulations. But 
what do you want? Three? You want four? What What is it that you would be pursuing right now that would have you defy all of the charts, all of the graphs, the Federal Reserve? The Federal Reserve is what created the stock market. I, I coined the phrase immoral enrichment. It's starting to resonate with people. I talked to a gentleman. He he actually says, Brett, I subscribe to exactly what you said. That is That is the most sensible thing I've ever heard, that if the Federal Reserve not the strength of companies, cause the stock market bubble, then what are they going to do in the future? Can they, can they create another, you know, seven, eight trillion dollars worth of, of money out of thin air? Is that really going to work? Or do we have to pop in order for the next generation to have a chance to grow their money in a more fundamental way and using our, our, you know, what used to be a very fundamental stock market, which is now turned into a, manipulated bubble. So you have to be kind of willing to be open-minded. Um, we lose people sometimes on meeting one or two where they just don't want to hear that things can go bad. Just, I don't want to hear that. I'm I'm loving life right now. I'm a stock trading monster. And it's okay to, to feel that way because maybe you made some really good moves, but the reality is, is that there's a lot of people around you that, that are kind of in the same position, and did they make really good moves too? Has everybody just made really good moves, or has the movement just been so convenient with the federal government, the Federal Reserve, that's just pumping, pumping, pumping money into the economy? Um, the, the pundits are, are split. Uh, some believe that inflation should start backing off. Those that don't believe so are really negative on where inflation will be going. They don't believe that this in, this liquidity that was pumped into the markets is going to fade anytime soon and that we can be looking at the Fed facing really you know difficult decisions. I, I like throwing things out on podcasts because they, they are documented. You can't change them later. And you know, we were talking and, you know, having a spirited debate about where the Fed will go with rates. I believe that if the Q1 inflation continues at the the pace that it did in 2021, I believe the Fed will, will crank up a half a point on the, uh, on the rates. If they do that, you will see a crash in the stock market. And as I said in the last podcast, and and as I am often saying to people, I don't think they care anymore. I don't think this Fed is going to allow inflation to run its course at the for the benefit of the stock market. Um, I've said it. I've said this before too, and I like to say things multiple times because it's just not resonating with people. The immoral enrichment that the baby boomers are enjoying it's it's measured in trillions of dollars. Um, when you think about how much money, and I'm just going to use our average baby boomer. And now remember, the people that have responded to our messaging over the last few years are baby boomers who are looking for either validation of their retirement plan or guidance. Um, those that are looking for validation are more likely going to stay the course of what they've done. They're just looking for a pat on the back and a, you know, a high five that, you know, yeah, you're probably going to have 5 million uh, instead of the 2.5 you have right now. That's one type of personality. The other looking for guidance is a little more open-minded saying, well, you know what? I, I, I kind of subscribe to this idea that we created money out of thin air. 
and that the monies that we've created out of thin air have compromised the future um, growth potential for our children and our grandchildren. And that if we do go through a Nikkei-like crash slash correction, what have we really done to our to our children? Um, I'm glad that more and more people are listening to this conversation than a year ago. Uh, I, I still think many people are conveniently listening to someone that they that is saying what they want to hear as opposed to hearing everything and weighing out those opinions. And I believe the ones that will come out of this as witnesses instead of victims will have listened to multiple people speak on topics and not necessarily just subscribe and listen to that one pundit who says everything you want to hear. These charts do not lie. These charts are unique. These charts take years and years to create patterns. They're here. It's taken 12 years to get to where we are today. It took the Japanese Nikkei 13 years to find its bottom. It was three years in 1999 for the market to find its bottom and another four years to, to uh, climb out of the crater. Um, either way, this is a prolonged type of scenario. It is not a COVID uh, type scenario at all. This is something that is a bubble. It's not an event that will cause this correction. Bubbles take a while to deflate. Uh, they don't necessarily pop. They take a while to deflate, and then they take a much longer time when they don't bounce immediately to reinflate, and they likely will. The Japanese Nikkei didn't do so well. It's still 32 years later, has not ever reinflated to where it was in 1989. Will that be the case for 2021? We we tested our highs, I believe, back in November. And since November, we just have not challenged that that new um, record highs again. That We were hearing almost every week, oh, record high, record high. Everybody loved to hear that. Um, I made a couple errors in, in the last podcast I want to make sure I address. I had mentioned uh, advanced micro when I was trying to speak to micro strategy. So my apologies to uh, advanced micro, good company, micro strategy, good company too. I just disagree completely with uh, Michael Saylor. Um, I had mentioned without using his name that I, I saw him on, uh, I believe it was a Tucker Carlson Fox Nation uh, program, and he was remarkably um, persuasive in Bitcoin. You know, so that's why I was picking on this. It was the, the Bitcoin conversation. And he had basically made a decision that MicroStrategy would be all in on Bitcoin. They put a ton of money in. I, I think they basically had about $2.4 billion of Bitcoin uh, coming into 2022, uh, as a matter of fact, as of the third quarter of 2021, they had $2.4 in the cryptocurrency. Uh, Michael Saylor is a, he's an articulate, he's obviously very smart, but I, I had said he was the smartest guy talking stupid I've ever heard before. And uh, right now, uh, their position as of January 25th is that MicroStrategy plans to continue investing in Bitcoin despite recent declines in the value of the cryptocurrency asset. Now, I also mentioned at that time 
And it's only because I'm not following cryptos. I don't have any interest in them. I've said that before. I was unsure of how many cryptos there were. I know there's one gold and there's one silver. I particularly like silver. Um, I think it's cool. I don't think it's a lot of money. I think it's fun to collect silver bars. I've, uh, I, I like getting the five ounce bars. I think that's kind of neat because it's bigger than a little coin, uh, more substance. It's a bar, right? They stack up, they look cool. Um, but I do think I'm, I'm safe if I have silver as a, as my only little hedge against inflation. Uh, I sure as heck don't think Bitcoin is. Why did I bring up gold, silver, Bitcoin? Well, the reason being is that there are now, I had said, I didn't know if there was 1,700 or 17,000 cryptos. I really didn't know because, you know, I, I kept saying, well, these things are man-made. Uh, I watched that show on Discovery, Gold Rush. I mean, I watched these guys dig mountains of material, millions of yards of material to fill up a, you know, a, a, a Yeti full of gold. <laughs> um, that's not easy. There's only one gold. There's a gold and, and it may be in different places in the world. And it may be easier or more complicated to get. I know that they were digging like 80, 90 feet down in the ground to get to the gold in, in that program. But cryptos are man-made. And realistically, they're not really made because when a crypto exists, it's never tangible. It's electronic. It's electrons. And they talk about all the, the power needed. Elon Musk even said that he until they start becoming more um, energy efficient or, or green in creating cryptos, he's not in it. He's not going to buy anymore, right? He bought a bunch. He, you know, he, he loves to come on the stage and make a presence. It's part of his, uh, they call him the, um, oh, crap, what's the name of the circus guy? The, the Barnum Bailey, <laughs> um, Jay Barn, Barnum, right? They call Musk Barnum in, in, in his business because he's, such a showman and he can come out, he's talking about his robot now and, um, but he's fascinating and I'm, I'm a fan of his, but he said until they can reduce the energy need for all the power needed to mine a coin, um, he's out. He's going to say, you guys, he probably wants them to use Tesla solar and Tesla batteries. And then he'll start saying, okay, I like this again. But Michael Saylor is clearly the the bull in the cryptos um if you're in cryptos the more power to you i i don't particularly like them and the comparison again is to the precious metals which i think is absurd there is one gold on the planet there's a certain amount of it and they're out chasing it every day um it's still a little pricey i still don't have that feeling that i'm 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 a great investor when it comes to to metals so silver has been my play but anyhow i digress so the the cryptos, um, I made the correction. So there's 2,000 cryptos as of today. There'll probably be 3,000, you know, in another year. Um, so I made that mistake, and I also made the mistake of microstrategy. Now, the one thing that I did notice today is that oil was up $5 from Monday. So oil, to me, is still the key to everything. If, if oil continues its progress towards a hundred dollars a barrel and the federal reserve starts to tighten as expected expect the markets to go haywire baby boomers please listen there is no reason to be a victim there is no need for many of you to chase more money now if you're fortunate to have a couple million bucks you can be a little cavalier in your in your investment um, but those of you with three, four, 
$500,000, my God, think of the consequences of losing half of that money. How would that impact the next 15 years of your life? Will you spend that waiting for the money to come back? Will you will you go and leverage your home, God forbid, leverage your home to go and chase the bottom of the market because maybe some advisor gives you that bullish sentiment? Happened to me in 2000. Um, boy, you know, these markets are, are, are a great buying opportunity. Well, that was maybe true in, in 1999 if you're in the moment, but it wasn't true when you looked at 1999 from 2000. And then when you're at the bottom of 2000, and you hear the same thing, and, and then you look back at 2000 from 2001, you had three years to, to screw yourself into the ground. Um, this might be 10. This might be 10 years that you could screw yourself into the ground, and you could potentially watch your entire retirement years from a rocking chair waiting for your money to come back. That is the behavior that you should expect in following the markets down. I want to tease the webinar coming up. I have a chart that I've been working on. I took the the market of 2000, right? So I went and grabbed 2000 and I got a ton of pages here, all of what I'm researching to talk about for the, the webinar next Wednesday. And again, it's Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. And as many of you know, we don't push these out for public view later. I, I like when people take time out of their busy schedule and it's a lousy TV night to watch these webinars and, and feedback has been really good. I'm, I'm starting to get people that are saying, Hey, you know what? Maybe this guy's right. If I am, I will hopefully make a lot of families very happy because I will have preserved their retirement dreams. If I'm wrong, no big deal. You've already got the money. And, and if you think there's a double up out there, then I don't know that there's any room on any of these charts for a double up. There just isn't room anymore for where it could go. So, I will be taking the two the the 1999 through 2000 plus, and I will be examining that, and I will be trying to show where we could be in comparison today. Forget about all the philosophical stuff, just on a pattern. Remember, when the market came down in 2000, there were many hitches where it started to look like it was going up, and is that when you'll jump back in? Is that going to be the point where you say, oh, I'm back, I, I, I missed it, or I'm going to buy more? If you're not having this conversation with your advisor, and it's a very difficult conversation to have with an advisor because that's not how they like to talk. That's They'll call that day trading conversation. No, it's not. That's long-term trend planning. If we're in a downward spiral, 30-year-old, 40-year-old people can play that game. 60-year-old people cannot. If this is a 10-year bowl that we're going to have to go through, maybe finding the bottom in five years instead of finding it in five months like COVID, it's not what you need to do. It's okay. Now, is there an extreme here? Of course there is. You don't have to run and take all your money and put it into a CD. I would never recommend a CD anyway. I would say that you should be thinking in a multi silos. Again, I talk about silos a lot. If you had multiple silos and in those silos, you have your monies, it's okay to have a certain degree of risk, but is diversification having money in, in equities and bonds or is diversification in having people, having different people? I subscribe to the latter. I think diversification needs to be in people and, and advice and not so much where the money is. 
I think you need to have a camp that you can go to to say, hey, this guy says this, what say you? That, to me, is true diversification, is opinions and support of that. And and I will continue to offer mine. Uh, I believe my retirement will be analyzing the bubble that is today and how long and how difficult it may be to come up on the other side. I hope many of you are choosing to be witnesses instead of victims in that regard. But even if I'm not right, maybe I'm wrong, maybe the market can double up. Do you need it? Do you really need it? And will you will you care for it and be smart when it comes to your <laughs> immoral enrichment? Uh, anyhow, I, I wanted to get that off my mind today and, and share that with you. I, I just feel that some of the arguments are falling on deaf ears. Maybe sitting and listening to a podcast will help you focus more on on the risk to reward. Do you have enough or can you afford to lose what you have? Two schools of thought depending on where you are. So try to make it a point to check out the webinar this Wednesday. You will get an invite from me. Check your spam folder. Please attend. Open your, your mind to different things other than greed and growth and become more willing to look at protection and tax efficiency, two things that I'll continue to provide. So on behalf of everybody here, uh, south of us, big snowstorm this weekend, not up here. We're going to get a little bit less, but uh, I hope everything is well where you are and you're healthy, and I do look forward to your continuing to follow this podcast. Please subscribe. Also send it out to someone. I know baby boomers aren't real good at this, Think about sending this link out to somebody. You can send it in your cell phone. Uh, You can send it out by email, but maybe get some other people to listen and see what they have to say. Thanks again for, for listening in today. I'm Brett Sasso on behalf of everyone at Retirement Architecture. Thank you for uh, checking out the Deserve podcast. You deserve an amazing retirement.